If we wish to be free, we must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left. It is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. The gentleman may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. Our brothers are already in the field, so why stand we here idle? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? God forbid. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. We applaud the words of Patrick Henry to this day. And it was not quite 90 years later we were fighting one another in our history's worst bloodbath, the Civil War. And again, I remind you, it was for the cause of liberty. The African-American people of our nation were not free. It was the consensus of our government they should be free. And if necessary, we would even fight one another for their freedom. Charles Sumner, November the 5th, 1864, gave a speech that masterfully summoned up the issue of the Civil War. Where slavery is, their liberty cannot be. And where liberty is, their slavery cannot be. I find it amazing that we as a nation will fight other nations for our national liberty, and we will fight one another for the freedom of those within our borders. But when it comes to our Christian walk, We'll give up our liberty with no fight. Amazing. We'll go to war against an enemy that wants to take away our national freedom. But how seldom do you hear of a Christian fighting for his own liberty? Let enough legalists come aboard and we'll give them the ship. We'll wave the flag of surrender. We'll listen to their long lists. And if necessary, for the sake of peace at any price, even though it's slavery and bondage, we'll agree to those lists so they'll think well of us. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson in 1963 wrote an article entitled The Paralysis of Legalism. He said, quote, one of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Christian Church today is the problem of legalism. Legalism wrenches the joy of God from the Christian believer, and with the joy of the Lord goes His power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. The truth is betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord becomes a synonym for a gloomy killjoy. The Christian under law is a miserable parody of the real thing." Unquote. You want to find a group of somber, gloomy, cramped, and dull individuals? You check out a lot of Christian assemblies today. If I had to name the number one enemy of the church, I would without hesitation put legalism at the top of the list. It's a killer. It kills congregations when a pastor is a legalist. It kills pastors when congregations are legalist. And if you've never been under the thumb of legalism, you have no idea how blessed you've been. And if you have been, then you know today, or should, what it is to be free. In Galatians 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. He was talking to Jewish believers who had come out from under the Mosaic law. They had been set free by the power of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and the fact that he kept the law then took it out of the way as a means of coming to God and being made righteous. And now they've gone right back under it because a new group of preachers have come into town and put them back under the law. And Paul is admonishing them, hey, you've got to stand fast for the liberty that Christ purchased for you at the cross and stay unencumbered with bondage. Nothing disturbs the legalists like the doctrine of grace. Nothing destroys the power of legalism like a firm conviction of the grace of God. Paul's writing to Christians who knew better, but who had fallen under the spell of a group of legalists. Dr. J.B. Phillips, in a paraphrase of Galatians 5, verse 1, writes, Do not lose your freedom by giving in to those who urge circumcision. Plant your feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom that Christ won for us, and do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. So it seems to me, if Patrick Henry would say, give me liberty or give me death, the Christian ought to be able to say, give me liberty or I make null and void the death of Christ. Give me the liberty that he wanted Calvary or I remain a slave under the law. I want to talk about fighting for freedom. Liberty is freedom from from slavery, from bondage. Liberty is freedom from sin's power and guilt. Liberty is freedom from God's wrath, freedom from satanic authority, freedom from the curse of the law, freedom from the tyranny of its demands in order to perform in some way to please God, freedom from the fear of condemnation from an accusing conscience, freedom from the demands of other people, freedom from slavery to human opinion, and it's a freedom motivated by love. So when the grace of God comes over you, you find you're no longer doing something out of fear or out of guilt. You're doing it out of love. And you're not doing whatever you're doing to win approval. You're doing it because you have been approved by Christ. Liberty is also freedom to. Not just freedom from, but freedom to. It's freedom to enjoy the rights and privileges from being out from under slavery. It's freedom to the rights and privileges of Christ and His sacrifice at the cross. It's freedom to live in and enjoy a new kind of power that only Jesus Christ can bring. It's a freedom to become all that He made me to be, regardless of how He might lead other people. It's freedom to know Him in an independent and personal way. God isn't stamping out Christians across the world so they look alike, sound alike, act alike, with the same temperament, the same vocabulary, the same style, the same dress, and they don't look alike or sound alike. God is pleased with variety and diversity. Everybody in the Bible was different. Peter would cut you lower than a whale's belly, and that's after following Jesus for three years may I remind you. Barnabas would love you to death. Ezra, when the nation of Israel was in idolatry, plucked out his own beard. And the other leader, Nehemiah, plucked out 
their beard. They're different. They're not the same. So it's freedom to make choices we know to be His will, freedom to obey His leading in my life. And once you've tasted it, you don't want anything else. But I say again, it's a liberty you must fight for because there are people who want to intimidate, manipulate, and dominate your life to make you as miserable as they are. Legalism is an attitude. It's a mentality. It's an obsessive conformity to some standard for the purpose of exalting myself. That's what it's about. And what motivates the legalist? Guilt and fear. It leads to an emphasis of what should not be, what one should not do, instead of what to be. I want to be known for what I'm for. Today, Christians evaluate a church by what they're against, not what—I'm wondering, what the heck are you for? Eugene Peterson with the Message Bible writes this, the word Christian means different things to different people. To one, it means a stiff, uptight, inflexible way of life, colorless, odorless, sterile, unbending. To another, it means a risky, surprise-filled venture lived on tiptoe at the edge of expectation. And either of these pictures can be illustrated by congregations all over the world. But if we restrict ourselves only to biblical evidence, only the second image can be supported. That's the image of a person living zestfully, exploring every experience, pain and joy, fulfillment and frustration, at a dimension of human freedom searching through each for sense and grace. If we get our information strictly from Bible material, there is no doubt, he writes, the Christian life is a dancing, leaping, daring life. Wow. Now, how many churches or believers do you know like that? As opposed to the hundreds of thousands who take their cues from the legalist and live their pitiful life accordingly. They are look-alike clones. You can look at what verses are underlined in their Bible and tell instantly what group they belong to. It was surprising to Paul the Galatians would return to bondage after being set free. I read from Galatians 5 verse 7 in the Message Bible. You were running superbly. Who cut in on you, deflecting you from the true course of obedience? This detour didn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. Galatians 3, 1, you crazy Galatians, did somebody put a hex on you? Who bewitched you? Have you lost your mind? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Paul reasons with the Galatians that he presented to them a Savior who paid the penalty for their sin. And the blood that came from Jesus' body on the cross and the resurrection of his body from the grave was God's final and total payment for sin. So he says to them, who bewitched you? Who blinded you to the work of the cross? And then in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm amazed. Legalism obscures the work of the cross. At the cross, Jesus administered to Satan a total, eternal, permanent, irreversible defeat. Satan's chief weapon against man is guilt 
and condemnation. But redemption gets us the place of no condemnation. The gospel is to tell people how to be made righteous, not to bring them under condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan is the accuser. Satan is the condemner. And when Jesus went to the cross, fulfilled the law, lived a sinless life, died in our place, rose from the dead, Satan was completely defeated and lost his right to accuse us when we accept Jesus. We are considered righteous. But it's not based on what I've done. It's based on what he did. For you law keepers out there, God bless you. The law only condemns. So Satan wants to obscure the work at the cross. Why would he want to? That's his place of defeat. And if you get, if you get a clear view of what he did there, he can never condemn you, capture you, put you in bondage, intimidate you ever again. But if he can obscure what happened at the cross, then you stay ignorant and you stay in bondage, and he's got you. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Legalists always judge, always compare, always condemn. It's the work of Satan himself. And every church has got its own lists. Even among some denominations that are the same, the lists are different. Have you ever noticed that? So what's Paul fighting for? Liberty. He said, you were free, and now you're slaves again. What happened, you stupid Galatians? So let's ask, how do legalists get in, and why are they effective? First, Galatians 1, verse 6 through 10, Paul says, heresy. Heresy is loose in the church, bought on by legalists who distort the truth of the gospel. Heresy deals with doctrine. Legalists distort the truth of the gospel. Second, legalists get control by harassment, intimidation. Galatians 2, 1 through 6. Legalism needs the atmosphere of a school, a church, or a denomination. It's harassment on people brought on by leadership. So heresy comes by wrong doctrine. Harassment comes through leaders. And then third, in Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14, hypocrisy. When you adopt a legalistic lifestyle, you always live in deceit and you fake it. You say one thing publicly, but you live another privately. If under the law, sin will always have dominion over you. But if you are not under the law, but under grace, Paul writes to the Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you. He didn't say you can't sin. He just says it can't put you in bondage. I'm not addicted. So let's look at this doctrinal issue of legalism in Galatians 1, 6, and then take each one independently here. And may I say again, Christ's death on the cross was sufficient total payment for all sin. His blood was the final payment that freed us from slavery. His resurrection was God's amen to Christ's, it is finished. The resurrection of Jesus was God's way of saying to you and me, your death is sufficient to satisfy my wrath. And from now on, all who come to you, Jesus Christ, have my blessing, and I decree them to be righteous because they are in you. Not one of you is righteous because of what you do or don't do. Not one of you. 
that ought to take a load off of some of you. It's not wrong to do something right. It's wrong to think doing something right makes me righteous. And I'll destroy that in just a second. Give me a minute. And what's the requirement to obtain forgiveness and righteousness that gives us eternal life? Faith. Faith in what Christ did at the cross. Not works. No long lists of I promise. No special attendance. No uh, christening. No adding to. No giving up. It takes trusting Jesus Christ alone. Paul says, I am amazed that you have deserted the message of Christ for a different gospel. You have left the grace of Christ to embrace another gospel which is not at all like grace. There are some of you that are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And if I'll call your attention for just a second, every cult you can name is a cult of works. It appeals to the flesh. It says, you stand so long on a street corner, if you visit so many hours, if you'll give out so much material, if you'll give up so much of life, if you'll not eat this, drink this, wear that, you will cause God to smile on you when your good works are weighed against your bad. Folks, if you believe that, you are stupido. <laughs> that is… That is insane. What you just said is that what Jesus did at the cross is not enough. And the result is man's glory. It's your glory. Well, I don't, and I won't, and I haven't. And they did, and we shouldn't, and I won't. What are you doing? Bragging. Look what I did. You added to the work of the cross. You just obscured the work of the cross. Grace says you have nothing to give. Everybody hear that? You have nothing to give. You are bankrupt. God on His own reached down and said, you are mine by faith in Christ alone. Period. End of quote. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of any work, lest anybody should brag. But legalists continue to proclaim, I don't, I haven't. And it continues boasting, boasting. But the works doctrine goes on, and it always will, because the pride of men and women is so strong. If I could just do something to get to heaven, then it would make sense. That's how they reason. Because most of life that we live in works that way. I work, I make money. I work hard, I make more money. I work two jobs, I make twice the money. So now I want eternal life. But it can't be a gift, Rick. I mean, there's no free lunch, but it's not free. Christ paid the unpayable payment. It cost Him His life. To you and me, it's free. But always remember, the cost was God's perfect Son, so He could bestow grace on you. This past year, somebody, I think I told the whole church in every service, somebody gave me a cute little sports car. Just gave it to me. Didn't have to pay anything. Just all I got to do is receive it, which I did. <laughs> Some of you could do as well with Jesus if you'd smarten up. Yes. Now, here's what I, let me use it as an illustration. I can do a lot of things with that car. I can neglect that car. I can let it get scratched, dinged, dented, leave it unprotected, refuse to change the oil, not get it serviced. 
Uh, I can let the kids get in it with french fries and crayons in the heat and let it melt. Uh, I, can, I can put the dog in there. I can do anything I want with that car. I can neglect it. It's still my car. I have the title. My name's on that title. I didn't pay a dime for it. I just received it. It was a gift. Or I can take care of it. Polish it. Keep it in the garage. Don't take it out on rainy days. Be sure nobody touches it. No dog gets in it. Make my wife have a bath before she gets in it. Uh, it. What I'm trying to say is we can all neglect what Jesus purchased for us. We can neglect so great a salvation. We can, we, can, we can also be sharp and focused and take care. But by the way, I didn't, it doesn't matter what I do with it. I, I didn't pay for it. I just received it. So I want to appreciate that gift. I want to be grateful for that gift. I want to take care of that gift. But I'm trying to get you legalists to see whether I do or not, it's mine. It's mine because somebody offered it, paid for it, and gave it to me, and I said yes. And you can't ever take that away unless I sign over the title to you, and I'm not going to. Does that make sense? Now, if you can understand what Jesus did for you, it's got no, that gift wasn't given to me by performance. I didn't work for it, didn't earn it, don't deserve it. You don't have to write me and tell me. Somebody just out of love and generosity gave. That's what God did for you. Out of love and generosity, not because you deserved it. We deserved hell. He did it because he so loved the world he gave. And he gave it with no strings attached. Ah, oh, but you can't smoke. Ah, oh, but you can't do this. That's not to get to heaven. That's stay out of a doctor's office. But it's not about going to heaven. Okay, it gets worse. Hold on. But the legalist comes along and he says, no, no, we got to add to Christ's work. We got to do our part. So in Paul's day, they demanded circumcision. And you have to give up certain foods under the Mosaic law. Couldn't eat pork. You've got to eat like we eat. You've got to observe certain days, Sabbath days, feast days. Or you can't be righteous, you can't be spiritual, you can't go to heaven. And that's still being done to this day. There are, there are Paul calls this heresy. L listen to this, 1 Timothy 4. Verse 1 through 4. Now, the Holy Spirit expressly says, in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Here he comes his list. Forbidding to marry. Celibacy. Celibacy is fine if you choose to do it. But it's imposed in certain religious groups on the ministers. Did you know, Peter, for my Catholic friends, whom, whom I love dearly, if you think Peter was the first pope, Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. Uh, yeah, uh, uh. How come you people like me don't ask questions? You just sit there like the silent majority and line up and go into the gas chamber. If Peter's married, how come the Pope can't be married? How come Catholic priests can't be married? Of course they can. Paul says it's a doctrine of demons. It doesn't make you righteous. The only reason you don't want to get married is you, somebody else is ugly and you didn't want to marry them. Or you're in a dangerous profession and you don't want to, you don't want to bring that burden on a, on a family because it, it's unfair to them. So you, for that whatever reason, you stay celibate. But the main part would be to marry. Okay. Celibacy, forbidding to marry. And what has that led to? The highest incidence of pedophilia. 
That sexual drive is going to get satisfied somehow, whether normally or by perversion, because of heresy. Right there. I'm just reading out of the Bible. Is that okay? An apostle, Paul, he's in stained glass windows all over the place around here, all right? <laughs> Forbidden to marry. Commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. If you were under the law, you couldn't eat certain foods. Pork, for example. Under the grace of God in the new covenant, Paul said you can eat anything you want. You can't be made righteous by food. Okay, now just stop for a second. Don't throw your brain away. Certain foods aren't good for you, but they don't make you righteous. If I eat too much bacon, too much pork, I could clog my arteries. I could die five years early. But I died because I ate too much pork. I didn't die unrighteous. I wasn't made righteous, Paul says, by any food. It is sanctified through prayer and thanksgiving. That's why we say the blessing. Half of you don't, but you should. <laughs> Lord, we give thanks for this food, your provision, and we sanctify it to our bodies and health in Jesus' name. That's what he says. Nothing is to be refused. It is to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. How can not eating a certain food make God say you're righteous? That is the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Paul says you can eat pork ribs, you can eat any kind of a food you want today. And if you live in Louisiana, you eat stuff I wouldn't walk on, but you eat it. And it's okay. It's okay. Crawl dads. Oh, man. And nothing is to be refused. It is received with thanksgiving and blessing. You observe Sabbath, and you observe days. And we have religious groups that are bound to observe the Lord on, the, on a Sabbath. But he says, that's heresy. You can serve the Lord on any day you want. Read Romans 14, same apostle. One man observes this day, another that day. He said, you can observe any day you want, but you can't be made righteous by a day. We're not under any Sabbath law. We're not under the law. Therefore, we can worship Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, any day we want, any time we want. Otherwise, it's heresy. It's a doctrine of demons. So I've had friends in different groups, and I says, how did you, how do you read the New Testament? Well, here's what happens. Protestants are always telling the Catholics, you just dumb because you don't, you don't, you don't know the Bible. And then Protestants don't read the Bible. They have. So they both stay dumb. They don't know what's in the Bible. But you just read. I'm just, if you just read this, you would say, holy cow, here's apostle in most stained glass windows of most denominations, all kinds, and he just said this is complete heresy. One of my friends, Dino Polis, did car repair and uh, uh, detailing and stuff, and he said there was a girl there who was a stripper in San Antonio, a member of a particular religious group in town today. She wouldn't eat pork because she was a member of that church denomination under food law. But she was a stripper. But she wouldn't eat pork. Hello? I'm wondering, how did you get the train there? How, how did you make that trip? I ain't gonna eat no pork. It's crazy. I can't be made righteous. I'll do a little magic mic, okay? Uh, yeah. 
I wish I had his body. Uh, so Paul says it's a pack of lives, and he stands against who tell you to add to the work of Christ. He says, stand against them. If you don't, they win. Just as if we learned, if we don't stand against the enemies of the liberty of our nation, they take over. Liberty's worth fighting for. Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9, but even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what I have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now we say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than you have received, let him be accursed. So he's begging us, stop tolerating the gospel of works. It's legalism. There are things that aren't good for you. Of course, there are things that are not, that are, that, are, that are a bit unrighteous, but they don't make you righteous if you do them or you don't do them. That's what I want you to see. You can't be made right. I want to do certain things for good health, but not to be righteous. I'm righteous as, I'm as righteous as the most unhealthy person in this room. And he is as righteous as I am because it's based on my faith in Christ, not my current health condition or neglect. Grace will remove pride, and it gives God all the glory. Galatians 1.10. Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser, but to please God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be the servant of Christ. And that ought to be every pastor's Magna Carta. Before Christ, Paul was a man pleaser. He was a legalist of the worst sort. When he realized Christ was real and his death was actual and that it was final and total payment for sin, he was crushed to the bone when he realized the enormity of his guilt before God. He was stunned in meeting the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and he finally learned there's only one person to fear on earth, and that's God, not man. Nothing more pathetic, I think, than a person who's a people pleaser and legalist prey on weak people. They distort and disturb the message of grace. And Paul says, it is heresy. If you're so insecure and you want to be accepted, then if someone attacks your friend, you'll, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want people to think bad of me. Or if I'm a friend of someone who's running for political office or something and sitting over here on the front, and, and all of a sudden the media wants to, oh, I, uh, uh, I, I think we better move away. You see, what are you? A people pleaser. You're not thinking for yourself. You're not making choices for yourself. You're making them in fear of man. Fear of man always works a snare. That's scripture I just quoted you. Fear of man, fear of rejection. And so as a result, you'll stay in bondage the rest of your life. Now look at the second group, Galatians 2 verse 4. Even that question came up because there were some so-called Christians, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Then Galatians 2, verse 1 through 3. Fourteen years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along also. I went there because God revealed to me I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure we were all in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running a race for nothing. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, although he was a Gentile. Now you think the legalists took that sitting down? Oh no, 
Look in verse 4 and 5, Galatians 2. Even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones, who were secretly brought in. They secretly sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Why? Because liberty was worth fighting for. Because the legalists are making their move, and you need to step on it and stop it before it moves into a church. It will ruin a church and people. Dr. Eugene Peterson writes again, there are people who do not want us to be free. They don't want us to be free before God, accepted just as we are by His grace. They don't want us to be free to express our faith originally and creatively in the world. They want to control us. They want us for their own purpose. They themselves refuse to live openly in faith, but huddle together with a few others and try to get a sense of approval by insisting that everyone look alike, talk alike, and act alike, thus validating one another's worth. They try to enlarge their numbers only on the condition that new members act and talk and behave the way they do. These people infiltrate communities of faith to spy out our freedom in Christ and find ways to control, restrict, and reduce the lives of free Christians. And folks, I've been around long enough to watch legalists destroy people in churches over birth control, movies, musical instruments, coffee, wine, certain foods, pants on women, certain books, makeup, views on prophecy, end time, guns, women cutting their hair. I heard one sermon called Bobbed Hair and Bossy Women. Go figure. Tattoos, body piercing, Bible code, and I'm sure some of you have your own lists. And you can do all of that and be as unregenerated as a rattlesnake, just as mean as a snake. See? Give up your list for everybody else. Keep it for yourself. But don't tell others they can't. Romans 14 says you cannot impose your conscience, your preference, your prejudice on somebody else. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Only judge not your brother. Clear Scripture. And I'm afraid most pulpits preach their conscience and their preference. Your conscience only has authority when Scripture is silent or unclear. And it's unclear on a lot of issues or silent. And so, therefore, well, I just don't believe, well, I just don't think, well, I just couldn't. Fine. Don't. But don't judge me. And don't judge anybody else. Clear Scripture. Judge not your brother. Okay? Scripture is clear, then we're all bound by it. But when it's not, then it's your conscience. So. There's wisdom in not doing certain things, but it's not about being righteous. There are certain things I do for good health, certain things I do to stay married happily, certain things I do to financially prosper that are given in the Bible. I tithe, I give, but it's not to be righteous. I was made righteous the moment I accepted Jesus Christ, and I'll never be any more righteous, ever, ever. But I want to enjoy a little heaven on earth in my marriage, in my health in my finances, in my relationships, in my children. And to do that, then I, there are certain things, boundaries that I want to stay within to ensure God's favor and blessing. 
but I've already got redemption. I've already been paid for. I'm already sealed and settled for heaven. And when God sees me, he can't, you say, well, boy, when God sees you, he's got, no, 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 your sin and iniquity I will remember no more. I'm sorry, there's no record of it. I know your wife does, but <laughs> God doesn't. There's no record. This is, this is why this was good news. And I'm telling you, folks, you have no idea. Walk out of here and walk into 75% of churches in any city USA, including San Antonio, and it's going to be, well, if you belong to Jesus, you don't, you don't, you don't, and you must. And if you do that, you're not saved. And if you do that, blah, 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 blah. And the list goes on. Legalism. And by the way, this might be real cute for you want to read Galatians 3. Paul makes this statement. If you keep the law, you must keep it all. And if you break one part of it, you're guilty of breaking the whole. You show me any legalist that keeps all the law, and I'll show you Jesus. It doesn't exist. It is totally impossible to keep the law, which is why Jesus says, choke on it. And then came and says, now I'm going to give you an option. You can come to me by faith. I kept it. And when God sees you, He sees you as having kept it because you are in me. So I have imputed righteousness I didn't earn. It's mine. Wow, that's freedom. That's liberty. And no man can take that away from me. Has our faith been reduced to who does what, when, according to what I think they should do? Or is my faith resting on the truth of Scripture? Liberty is worth fighting for. And even those with a long list don't live up to them. I have a preacher friend who years ago would never go to a movie. That was a sin. But he'd go down to Blockbuster and rent every movie that came out. I said, you preach in nations. You preach on television. And you rent a freaking movie and you don't go to movie and somehow that's different? The location makes it unrighteous? Are you kidding me? Anybody listening to my reasoning? Yeah. See, what I want you to do is think. I want you to question. I want you to think. Paul reasoned with them daily, it says, out of Scripture. He made them think. I don't get up here and parrot a bunch of memorization facts that you just have to say, well, we believe that. I, I never read it myself, but uh, this is what I believe. I'm not going to put my life into the hands of somebody like that. Read it for yourself, and you'll come up with a, a, a brand new outlook. <laughs> Some of you wouldn't drink wine, but you'll suck on 90-proof NyQuil. Better off drink wine. Better for you. Yeah. I never could figure that one out. First in, the, first in the original language in Greek, there are two words for wine, oinos and glucose. Glucose is taken from glucose, sugar water, grape juice. That never occurs for wine in Scripture. It's oinos. It's wine. It's real wine. And all through the Old and New Testament, the caution is about drunkenness. Be not drunk with wine. An elder must not be addicted to wine. So that was frowned on. There are a whole lot of preachers who preach against wine but are gluttons. Clear Scripture. Selective legalism. You see what I'm saying? Folks, get off of the law. Get off that. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. He didn't say you can't drink wine. Now, if you've, been a, if you've been a person who is addicted to wine or narcotics, then for you, you should never touch it ever again. You can only be innocent once. But it's not to be righteous. It's to stay free. Right? That makes sense? I'm not doing this so God will love me. He loved you. It's, it's so you stay free. 
so you can enjoy the good life that God has for you. Galatians 2, verse 11 through 6. Listen to this. Now, when Peter came back to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. St. Peter, the one in our church stained glass windows? Yeah, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came from Jerusalem, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, Jewish. And the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So it'd be, how could I make that for today? I'm a southern boy born in South Carolina, February 9th, 1944. So. uh, Johnny and uh, uh, Gerald and, and uh, Don Beck and others here on, on, on our elder board and others, uh, I'd, be, I'd be having some watermelon and barbecue sitting at the table with them, African-American brothers. And then I see some of my redneck southern boys coming over with their four-by-four truck and Bud Light in the truck, and I move away from that table and go back over to theirs because I don't want to be rejected or criticized. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's eating with Gentiles, free, who are ha- probably having pork ribs, barbecue. And then he sees the Jews come in. Now he gets away from them, and now he comes over, and now he's suddenly, you know, what, would be, what would he be having? Pasta? I don't know what he'd be having. I, whatever. Uh, roast beef or something, I guess. I don't know. But he... And, and Paul looked at this and says, this is evil. This is terrible. So they were carried away with that hypocrisy. But when I saw, this is Paul, when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter to his face in front of them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles then to live like Jews? We who are Jewish by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh ever be justified. Listen to this paraphrase by Dr. Ralph Kuyper. Peter, I smell ham on your breath. You forgot your breath mints. There was a time you wouldn't eat ham as part of your salvation. But then after you trusted Christ, it didn't matter if you ate ham. But now when the no ham eaters have come from Jerusalem, you've gone back to your kosher ways. Ah, but the smell of ham still lingers on your breath. You are most inconsistent. You are compelling Gentile believers to observe Jewish law, which can never justify anyone, Peter. By returning to the law, you have undercut strength for godly living. See, Paul is rebuking hypocrisy in Peter. The very idea you would fake it in front of the Jews and Gentiles proves you are talking freedom, but you're not living it. You're talking law, but you're not living that either. Get off the fence, Peter. If you keep one part of the law, you've got to keep it all. They tell you don't smoke, but they're gluttons. If you do come back under the law, then you come under the curse of the law. Did you know every legalist is under a curse? The curse of the law, inevitably. And every legalist has a hidden sin addiction. Romans chapter 7 says, the law activates the passion of sin. Say, you can't, don't. And what happens? Even the preachers get caught. 
it activates the sin nature. The law kills, but the grace of Jesus gives life. He's come to give you life, not to kill you. And he says, if you keep one part of the law, you've got to keep it all, and you're under the curse of the law if you break one part of it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going near it. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. Jesus kept it. I just can't keep it. And you can't either. Well, I, oh, but you've got two points you do keep. Oh, how nice. What about the other eight? Well, well, if you only break one, you're guilty of breaking it all. You want to throw in the towel and come over with me with Jesus? And we'll enjoy peace and joy, righteousness, and acceptance by the Father. And get off this kick. This is what's turned people so against the church. I don't know so much against Jesus, but against the church. We've just killed people. Who wants to get up voluntarily on the 4th of July aftermath and come to church to get beat up? I don't, and I'm the preacher. I want to set captives free. Well, you just believe you can just do anything you want to. Well, yeah, I can do anything I want to, but there are plenty of things I don't, I choose not to do. But it's not to be righteous. I just want to enjoy God's favor. I want to be effective in my health, life, marriage. It's not to go to heaven. I got that in the bag. It's not to be made righteous. I'll never be judged unrighteous a day in my life. I have imputed righteousness, just like the car in my garage was given to me, imputed to me. It's mine. Whatever. And so, God wants to give you something. But at the same time, I'm very grateful for what He gave me. And so, I do my best to try to follow along in His steps, but I fail, and you fail. But I don't go out and say, well, today, let's see how much I can fail. I don't have that attitude. But I'm not worried about it because I'm still righteous. Last, how do you take a strong defense against legalism? Number one, keep standing firm in your freedom, unshakable. Don't let anybody move you from it. Number two, stop seeking the favor of everybody. If you're in a group where you have to do certain things that violate your conscience or they require things that are not your conviction, get out of the group. You're foolish to stay there just to be a people pleaser. You're serving men, not God. You're motivated by fear, not faith. Number three, stop refusing to submit to bondage. Call it what it is, slavery. And please don't remind me of how liberty needs to be restricted. I've got those rules down pat. Every time I speak on grace, I hear immediately from the legalists who want me to warn you about taking your liberty to an extreme. But that is not the problem for most believers. We're too good at clipping wings so we don't even know how to fly. Some of you have never been free. Never. So fly a little bit. Those people with scissors are always around to clip your wings. Number four, continue being straightforward about the truth. Live honestly. When you blow it, say, I blew it. Even to your kids, say, I'm sorry, I was a first-class hypocrite. It's embarrassing now, but they'll love you forever, and they won't grow up damaged. Liberty must be fought for, because the legalist will never go away. Satan can only control you by obscuring what Jesus did at the cross. Don't allow that. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.